This is the Rejoicing in the Word podcast coming to you from the capital region of the Susquehanna Valley. My name is Josh Hamilton and I'm here today with Pastor Brandon Starnes. We want to welcome you back to another episode of Season 3. And we continue once again our study of the mind today. And with this thought, is there a proper order of life that will assist in maintaining a renewed mind? And this is our consideration for today. Make sure that you check us out at facebook.com. You'll find us there at facebook.com forward slash rwmin. You can find um, the quickest updates there, verses, quotes. You can message us, reach out to us there. Also, remember to check out the Rejoicing in the Word blog, svbcpa.org forward slash rwblog. And then don't forget for the direct links to the podcast, you can find us at svbcpa.org forward slash rwpod. And you'll find us there on most all the major podcast platforms. So even most of the greatest servants of God have struggled in life, and they struggled with, with the mind and having a proper order of life. Yeah, I think there's a number of examples that we could look at. Time wouldn't permit us to look at all of them, but let's take just a moment and look at two of them. Uh, one of them would be found in the Psalms. That, of course, would be David. And so let's consider for a moment Psalm 42 and Psalm 45. These are uh, interesting uh, psalms by which are placed as we think of of the psalmist and his life and struggles that are there and faced. Uh, but there's just a few things that are common uh, to all people, common to David, common to the sons of Korah that here pen this. But they would speak of uh, of their tears in verse number three of Psalm 42, their tears having been my meat day and night. In verse number four, talk about pouring out their soul in themselves. Um, so powerful travesty, weight, burdens that were upon them. And they come to verse number five and they use some statements that are then um, pronounced again and again, not only in this psalm, but in the one that is to follow. And there's two that I think would be worth uh, the time this this podcast to really investigate, but he says, why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. In the next verse, he echoes that sentiments again. O my God, my soul is cast down. He'll go down to verse number 11, the same, same Psalm, Psalm 42. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? And you take the opportunity and move down to Psalm 43. He speaks of this. Why art thou cast down, verse number five, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? So here's one example of a group of believers. And I think this is similar in David's life as an Old Testament character, but also the lives of all believers. Here's a struggle or struggles that they face trials of life, bringing their heart to be cast down and their soul to be disquieted within them. And of course, those words would mean nothing if we didn't take the opportunity really to define them. So what is it that a disquieted soul, what does that word disquieted mean? That means to deal with a lot of noise, a noise that's abounding. And that's used a number of times in the Old Testament. I mean, we could also look at what the word cast down means, too. Sure. Because that's another big term that's there. I think we could look at a couple of verses about disquietment. But looking at that cast down, I mean, that would have been something that David would have been familiar with. He grew up as a shepherd, tending his father's sheep. And um, 
it was I was doing a little bit of a study about some shepherds and just in Bible study and had looked up and was reading about a cast sheep. And so I had to look it up on YouTube because I wanted more. Well, than that's where all truth is. I wanted more than just words. Go to YouTube. So there's this Australian shepherd puts on like how to what a cast sheep is, and he's taking you out through his pasture, and he's talking about whenever the sheep's wool gets thick and heavy. Uh, sometimes it's because it needs sheared. Sometimes it's just because it's matted down, got all wet, something along those lines. And these sheep get so heavy with their own wool, and then they're wandering around. Maybe they lay down on their side or they sit down or however they do their thing. And then next thing you know, they they sat down next to this little indent in the ground and they just roll over on their back. And so he's talking about this and he was out looking for one of his sheep and he, he came up on this sheep and he actually had to roll it back over and help push it back up onto its feet. And so the, the issue that was there, why the shepherd needs to take care of the sheep in that regard is because once they're over on their back, it's all the gases and things in their stomach have issues and pretty pretty much within 24 hours window of time yeah that that sheep's gonna die wonder if it if it's not able to be sheared at the right time maybe because it wandered away yeah i'd imagine other foreign objects kind of grow in that yeah that wool as well yeah i saw the other thing i looked up too or it just kind of comes up as you're looking up sheep and shepherds is there was this sheep that got had wandered away from the flock and had been out on its own for i don't know a couple years and this thing made the news because whenever they got it, the sheep was so heavy with its wool. I mean, it looked like the Michelin Man. Oh, my. It was outrageous. I mean, you couldn't see. Its wool was all over its eyes. The thing was looked like a barrel. And basically what had happened was they had found the sheep, but it had grown up and it had become all matted. And um, the purpose of the shepherd to save these cast sheep, it was a continual purpose. He had to save them from just their own selves, their own ignorance he had to home. take their burden from them he did yep and uh and probably they weren't even always happy he's taking a burden from <laughs> them you know i saw one of a uh, sheep shearing contest once here, here in harrisburg at the farm show and to watch these sheep and they were racing and the, of course the team that i was pulling for which happened to be in the county i didn't know anyone but uh, i was watching them shear and that poor sheep it, <laughs> let's just say it didn't go well for him or the shearer but a good shepherd see that that shearing was done to prevent all of that but there is the necessity of the willingness of the sheep yeah yeah i mean another example another animal that can be cast would be a turtle yeah you may have seen them on the side of the road on their back on their shell and uh just cast down in need of help yeah need of help they're in need of help they cannot write from an outside outside source someone who cares about them you know yes that's, that's what they need and throughout the old testament you'll find this idea of being cast down uh, several times now, and you get to the New Testament. I think of Second Corinthians chapter four. Paul talks about he is cast down, but not forsaken. A little bit different connotation. He's not using a herdsman mentality there. He's talking about literally to be toppled in one sense. But in the context here of the Psalms, cast down, they've got a great burden that's literally about to take from them uh, the freedom uh, of mobility, the the freedom of uh, of the path, it's going to rob them of the enjoyments of the life. And, and really, if they have veered off the path of the shepherd, it could cost them their very life because they have no ability to return, if you will, yeah. unto their shepherd. Yeah. And the reason those sheep were able to be righted was because they had a relationship with the shepherd. Yeah. And so that's what it means to be cast down. Yeah. But looking at disquieted, 
uh, we could look at First Kings chapter one verse forty one, and speaking of an uproar, uh, and Adonijah and all the guests that were with him heard it as they made uh, an end of eating, and then Joab heard the sound of the trumpet. He said, "Wherefore is this noise of the city being in an uproar?" Hmm. And just and disquietment is an uproar. You think about the noise of a city, yes, uh, a bustling about. You know, we often look for our soul to be a place of peace and harmony. And here the psalmist, when referencing their own inner soul, they talk about it being not only cast down, but disquieted. It was an uproar. It was not a place of solace and peace. Um, the Psalm 46 uses a similar thought. Verse number three talks about the waters thereof roar. The same idea of disquietment. They roar and be troubled. Uh, be, and be troubled through the mountains, though the mountains shake with um, with the swelling thereof, Selah. And so again, this disquietment, roar, uproar, um, one to consider is in Isaiah, he describes a tumultuous city. And that tumultuous city, again, is the uproar. I think there are other ways in which it's used throughout the scriptures. Um, do you have another example there? I had Psalm 55 and verse 17. And um, evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. And that's a crying. It's a cry. Yeah. So, I mean, troubled, raging, tumultuous city, uproar, um, um, cry aloud, roar. All of these are synonymous with this, ex- this, this phrase or this word disquieted. So here's the psalmist, a soul that is cast down. No ability to rise. I mean, he is without any strength in this matter. And disquieted the idea of a noise abounding. Where should be a place of peace. Yeah. There's a great noise within him. David is a man under duress. And his soul is noisome. As such, uh, these struggles have caused him to falter beneath his load of life. But he's not the only example of a saint of God, a servant of God, that has struggles, grave struggles in life. Another example we could draw from the New Testament would be that, of course, of uh, the Apostle Paul. Uh, Particularly in 2 Timothy chapter 4, here's a man that is at the end of his ministry and subsequently really even at the end of his life. And there's a lot of great troubles that are abounding. Yeah, those the world hate him. Uh, you have Alexander the coppersmith in yeah, likely, verse 14. Likely one of those guys that made idols yeah, and uh, would have added to the affliction uh, that the Apostle Paul would endure. Uh, not just a physical affliction, but Philippians chapter 1 talks about individuals that were adding to so that the bonds of the Apostle Paul would be even greater. And Alexander likely one of those individuals. Yeah. And speaking to what could add to your affliction or your disquietment, in verse 16, it says, no man stood with me. Yeah. And, I mean, they're not necessarily doing anything against him, but they're not standing for him. And that would do that would do a great deal to disquiet you yeah, on top I mean, of so, everything else. So he's got a world that hates him, people like Alexander. He's in trials. Uh, he's in imprisonments. Friends who won't stand with him. Yeah, friends that won't stand with him. Even in the very text, there is Demas that hath forsaken me, having yeah. loved this present evil world. Yeah. Uh, he's there at his trial. No man's going to stand with him. And then to kind of add to all of this, you've, you've got the general trials of life. Yeah. He's cold. Yep. He's weary. In verse number 13 and, and following, he 
uh, in that passage there in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he's admonishing Timothy. Uh, he says, the cloak, that's a coat that he left in Troas. When you're coming, make sure you bring it with thee. Yeah. Uh, he also asked for the books and the parchments. But the reality is he, he's in this struggle of life. And there's just general struggles of being cold, weary. Verse number 10, no man's with him but Luke. He's lonely. So you've got a spiritual struggle, a physical struggle, and then you've got, of course, your general struggles. Yeah. When you look at the Apostle Paul, he is not in prison for being a malefactor or a thief or a murderer. He's rather there because he is the preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, of course, the uh, world system is opposed to him. False teachers are opposed to him. And he's under great duress in his life as well. Yeah, these are godly individuals, and we would find that throughout the scriptures. I mean, you could look at Joseph, you could look at Daniel, the list Job, just goes on. Yeah. And um, they're godly folks with real struggles. So, so much for the thought that if you're a believer, you are not going to be able to experience difficulty. Uh, if you're a believer, your life's going to be peaches and cream. And so much for all that. But you know, it, it, you know, one that we have not even mentioned that should be like so obvious, the Lord Jesus's yeah. life was not easy. Yeah. The foxes has holes, the bird and the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath no place to lay his head. Here's an individual, I speak of the Lord Jesus, that during his earthly ministry uh, often was um, in great need. Um, at times, no home to call his own. In fact, he even went into his own for the sake of salvation and justification, yeah. and they received him not. Yeah. Uh, here's a man that, and I'm speaking again of the earthly ministry, the Lord Jesus, uh, that uh, was often accosted by those that claimed that they were his friend. And even in the great crucible of of his passion, you have here Peter, not unlike the experience that Paul would yeah. be at, there was no man that stood with him. Right, forsaken. Yeah. And so these are... Uh, you know, I, there are those who, well, you know, if you're a Christian in the world, it's just going to be a great life you're going to have. Uh, no, you're still going to have trial, trials and struggles in life. You're you're not going to be able to separate. Job speaks of these things and and um, really talks about how they're evident as well. In fact, before I get ahead of myself, really, that those are a couple of points that we should make, uh, some important truths. And that is, just because we are believers, this would be an important truth, just because we're believers, it doesn't mean that we are immune from the trials or struggles of life. Yeah, and you just mentioned Job, uh, Job's statement there, Job 14, verse 1, the days of a man are short and full of trouble. Yeah, even in John 16, the Lord again, he says, In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. No, notice the, the statements, well worth noticing yet for the episode today, in the world, you shall have tribulation. It's going to occur. Yeah. But the imperative, be of good cheer. Yeah. There seems to me to be the indication that the Lord is telling his saints, you can be of good cheer despite In the, the tribulation. Yeah. Well, I think about just daily life. And I mean, we've, we're looking at the lives of some of these godly individuals in the Bible. But if we're not careful, our lives can become just trial after trial, after struggle, after discontent, after I'm cold, I'm weary, I'm lonely. And then, you know, we wake up one day and we're like, wow, have I even ever had a good day all year? Mm -hmm. And um, that's something people can get trapped in. But God desires that we would have joy. That's one of the fruits of the Spirit. God desires that we would have peace. God desires 
that we would not that we're anxious for nothing but in everything giving thanks rejoice and, in the lord always and again i say rejoice and these things are to be happening in the midst of a world that is cold weary lonely no men standing i mean all these different things we're looking at god desires that we have joy each and every day. Yeah, over in Second Corinthians, again, getting a little ahead of myself, but in Second Corinthians, Paul, in reference to all the trials of life, he says he counts them but light affliction. Yeah. He faints not. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, uh, as a believer, you are not immune from the troubles of life. That is, that is a experiential fact, but it's also a fact of the Word of God. Yeah. Another point that we ought to look at is our bodies are not the chief means by which we cope or deal with all these struggles. You know, you see that today so much, and and this is just a side point, really, but where you have uh, professional athletes, gymnasts, et cetera, that due to, they would call it their mental well-being, they're unable to endure the pressures of the mind and withdraw from competition. And physically, they're showing you, or I should say experientially, you're seeing that there is a correlation between the mind and the body. Yeah. And sometimes folks think, well, you know, if you just get out and walk and cl- clear your head, so to speak, because walking, that will fix all the troubles and trials of life. Yeah. And your body, one thing about it, and it's a great gift that God has given. It's one we ought to steward for, believe it, or is the temple of God. But the reality is it is dying daily. Yeah. Uh, Paul referenced it in Second Corinthians chapter 4. He talks about our outward man. In verse number 7, he calls it, earthen vessels. It's like clay pots, if you will. Right. Easily broken. Yeah. Well, and I mean, if you think about the fact that you have one clay pot. Right. You know, you got one life. Now, now the, the truth of the matter is um, that clay pot of our life changes over time. I, I read somewhere recently that that over a period of a lifetime, due to the cellular changes of a body, you have like, I don't know, like a dozen different bodies. Like you, you, the cells huh. are all regenerated that many times right. over the span of an average, quote unquote, lifetime. Uh, but still, as far as we can tell, you've got that one vessel and it does progressively age. And sometimes that aging is sudden, maybe due to an accident, maybe right. due to some injury Health that was thing. suffered. Yeah. Yes. But there's just one. And when you, you look at that body that we had as a young person and now moving into middle age and then down the road, uh, by the time we get to the end of life, that outward body has a lot of chips and dings in it. Sure. And if that is the only measure by which we attain good cheer, if you will, and peace and hope, et cetera, then we are setting ourselves up for a great defeat. Well, you think about even the greatest athletes grow old, even yeah. the greatest athletes get injured, even you know people that put their life career investing into that earthen vessel and they still it's at the end of the day it's it's, temporary it's temporary and earthly yeah i started out with second corinthians chapter four for which calls we faint not but though our outward man that's our earthen vessel that's our body though it perisheth our inward man is renewed day by day we're not saying there's no importance or that there's no correlation between the body and the mind What we are saying is that God has equipped each believer with an inward man that can be renewed in the eternal power of the Almighty God and therefore be able to press forward throughout all the difficulties of life just and counted, I should say, counted just as 
light affliction. We think about that word press forward. I think of Philippians chapter 3, Paul talks about pressing forward. And oh, how many times that passage is used uh, to talk about uh, moving onward in your Christian life, uh, counting those things which are behind but not. But that, that press forward, it has the idea of to persecute something. I mean to go after it uh, to the nth degree, as it will, to give 100% of all your being to obtaining the prize. And the prize is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ's conformity to him. And so our body is only a part of that. It's our inward man that is renewed daily. Uh, it may not be, it may be, but it may not be uh, that our body is uh, able to be resistant to sicknesses and illnesses, et cetera. Right. Certainly God can heal, but oftentimes is the case that we have prayed for individuals that had various sicknesses and they have to struggle with those sicknesses for the balance of their life. I think of even the Apostle Paul. Uh, he had this sickness, this infirmity of the flesh. He sought God three times. Yeah. My grace is sufficient for thee. Yeah. That's a whole nother episode that we could do on that, but it bears proof that our bodies are not the chief means by which we cope or deal with the trials of life. Right. And our next point is going to look at the mind of a believer, but we also, remembering what the mind is from previous episode, the mind is more than just, like you mentioned, clearing our mind. There's a lot of things we could do to clear our mind. Um, for me, I enjoy going out in the woods. Some people enjoy walking along a lake or a stream or there's all these different things. Woodworking is another sure, time. Yeah. Anything. And that's going to rest and could clear your mind. And that often gives opportunity to strengthen the inner man. But what we're talking about here in this next point is the inner man, uh, more than just your brain, more than just getting the thoughts cleared. And so our third point here is not only is the mind of the believer or our inner man in important it's an important gift from god and it is the preeminent agent that is needed to endure the struggles of life you know i i think of second corinthians chapter 10 he talks about for the weapons of our warfare and there is a great warfare spiritual warfare that undergoes there's temptations there's the pressure of this world system there's my own humanness the weapons of our warfare are not carnal they're not fleshly they're not of this world uh, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Yeah. The reality is, uh, for the believer, the indwelling of the Spirit of God, the mind, is a wonderful thing. Not just the ability to remember, recall, uh, not just the ability to uh, consider or the mindset to have, but we're speaking in a greater sense that inner man that must be renewed by the power of the Almighty God. And that is the main means by which the uh, troubles or life are dealt with. Yet, even our inner man, though it's the preeminent agent, it can still be cast down. Sure, it can still be discouraged. Yeah. Yes, there is that innate humanness there. Uh, really, as we, we, we consider these things, what is really that proper order of life? And I think a good place to look is to look at the example uh, that the Apostle Paul gave Timothy in Philippians chapter number 4. And just to kind of set the the backstory of, of uh, by way of reminding you, he's in prison. Some historians would speak of it being maritime prison, but he's in prison. Um, much of the correlation of Second Timothy may be present there. Hungry. We mentioned some of those general struggles. the The whole essence is he's not in the place where you would say that he is happy. Sure. 
happenings are not going his way. Right. Friends are leaving him. He doesn't have his daily sustenance. The only one he's with that ha- that he is with is, of course, Luke. Uh, there has been great disappointments, and this is the perfect compiling of all of the heartaches of this stage of his life. And he writes this wonderful epistle by inspiration, preserved for us, Philippians uh, chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. And the real theme of it, outside of the oft-mentioned Christ and all of his mighty power, the real theme of it happens to do with rejoicing and joy. Yeah. And he focused to the Philippian believers in verse in chapter 4 and verse 8 and 9. And there's truths that are given there that are very important into kind of setting the baseline of a correct and proper order of life. So let's look at Philippians 4, 8, and 9. The scriptures say, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Hmm. There's an order, isn't it? You've got all the trials of life. How are you going to deal with them? Well, you can't always hope that they'll be removed. You don't control that ability. Yeah. But there seems to be a right order, and that is right thinking, right acting, brings right feelings. Yeah. And we find those words in the passage, think on these things, seen in me, do, and the, and God, the God of, of peace, peace, there's our feeling, present. shall be with you. There's an order to it. Yeah. So here... You've got our two examples. We used it in the general sense of David in a specific sense of Paul. But you've got two examples back to Ephesians or rather uh, Psalm. You've got these two examples, disquieted soul, a cast down soul. What's the answer? Well, obviously, he's even gone on to talk about the tears that are present. He's uh, the, just the, the, the terrible travesty that he's under. And all of this has been expressed Human essence would say, well, stand up for yourselves. Human right. essence would say, get out of that toxic environment. Yeah. Well, the fact is, every environment has a level of toxicity to it. What's the answer? How is he going to have himself encouraged? How is he going to be removed from the state of the disquiet? And so how is he going to be uncast yeah. in his life? And the answer really is, hope thou in God. And that is the reoccurring phrase that we see. Hope thou in God in verse number five. Coming down to verse 11, hope thou in God. He even references again in verse number eight, but when you come to Psalm 43, hope thou in God. He is my strength. How do you hope in God? Well, you're hoping in the promises and the person, the attributes. This is his expression that he is given. This is the right thinking that is necessary for David's life. Hope thou in God three times. He is to think about the promises and the person and the examples that God gives. And that right thinking, that right thinking will reveal by the truths of scriptures how a right behavior should follow. And when my heart is right with God and my life is following God, friend, all the right feelings will come about and there'll be an encouragement that is present. Yeah, Paul's life is similar. It's interesting in verse 13, bring the cloak that I left in Troas, and then he goes on and talks about the books, but especially the parchments. I always find that word especially interesting. If you can't get the cloak that I need to keep me physically warm, if you can't get the books that I need to keep my mind stimulated, 
make sure you bring the parchments. Yeah, the this word is the of vellum. God. This is the word of God. Yeah. Um, why? Why did he want the parchments over books and over clothing? Because whenever he had struggles in life, he wanted to be able to meditate on what was true. Yeah, give me the characteristics honest, of God. What was just. Let me pure. know how God deals with us. Yeah. Let me know of his holiness. Let me know of his compassion. Let me know of his love. Friend, that will change a mind. Right thinking, right thinking prevents us as believers from being pressed around by this godless world system and the God of this world. Right acting causes us to do, causes us to respond with right thinking, knowing who God is, causes us to follow through to what God wants. It causes us, uh, Matthew six thirty three to seek first the kingdom of God, despite the trials of life. Uh, it puts everything in a wonderful perspective, and then comes that right feeling. Yeah. The God of peace will be with you. Yeah. I think the struggle often is we have this feeling that we don't like, whether it's worry, whether it's anxiety, um, whether it's anxiousness, whatever that would be. And we want to fix that problem. And so we jump right to how am I going to fix how I feel? Well, I'm going to go get a large ice cream, soft serve ice cream from Dairy Queen. So I, I feel know. better. Right. Yeah, so, so I, I feel, feel better. better. I'm going to lift my mood. I'm going to take a day off work. I'm going to go walk in the park. I'm going to do something to lift my spirits. And so there you go. You walk, you clear your mind, but the issues are still there. And maybe you get a temporary Band-Aid on it, but you've addressed it out of God's order. And God's order is not go directly to feeling. In fact, the action that we really need, the diligence we need to put forward is on the thinking and acting. And God brings about the feeling. Mm -hmm. God brings about the peace. God brings about the joy. And when that proper order of life is enforced, and we could even say, because there'll be the necessity of seeing it reinforced uh, in our life, it will spare us as a child of God from being defeated again and again and again. This correct order will aid us in not being cast down. It will cause us to reckon. There's a powerful accounting word that Paul uses. I reckon that the sufferings of this life are not to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in him. That reckoning, that's an accounting thing. The trials of this life in comparison to the marvelous gift of God, they're not even worthy to be considered. They're light affliction when compared to the wonders that are in Christ. The proper order of life, right thinking, right acting, right feeling. And let's close this episode off with a verse from Philippians chapter 4. In verse 13, we see this. The word of God says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And with that, we want to close out our episode. And thank you once again for joining us. Goodbye for now.